Hey everybody, it's Aldo Gandhi, and I just want to let you know really quickly that our swag shop is reopened. DeepDishTees.com is where you go, and that's tees with T-E-E-S. Clever name, guys. They're the new home of our merchandise. You can get t-shirts, you can get caps, you can get coffee mugs, you can get hoodies, you can get all sorts of good stuff, and you'll help out the bar room with the purchase. So head over to DeepDishTees.com. The following program is a production of the Barroom Network. It is intended for all audiences. Doug Buffoon. This defense sucks. This is moronic. John Buffoon. If your best run plays are coming off end arounds, there's a problem. Doug was behind the microphone first. He never held back. Very difficult to score when your offense is on the bench. When your defense is out there giving up 70, 80, 70, 64-yard drives. Now, it's his nephew, John. And there's no holding this buffoon back either. An offensive-minded coach that's running an offense that got nine yards and a half. A beaten-up defense that isn't necessarily performing in key situations. I've had it! I have had it! I want somebody to get kicked in the ass! How many games can you rattle off that involve the team running the ball seven times and they win? I can't think of any. I don't mind you getting beat. I got my ass whipped many times. But I tell you, I took somebody down with me. Because Bears fans wanted to believe in the worst way that Chicago had a stable, competitive franchise. And this is what we got. It's Buffone 55, the John Buffone Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of Buffone 55, a fast-paced approach at breaking down the Chicago Bears. I'm your host, John Buffone, and filling in for Alyssa once again is Aldo Gandia. Our continued thoughts are with Alyssa as she continues to tend to some family issues. But Aldo, how are you doing? This is your second week. You, you, you in your groove yet? No, I'm not in my groove yet, but I am feeling good. You know why? Because I spoke with Greg Gabriel today on his show Greg Gable, of course, the former director of scouting for the Chicago Bears for 10 uh, seasons. And uh, he and I had a really good show, and he was a lot more optimistic about what could happen in the future than we Chicago Bears fans have. So I feel a little better. Maybe you'll make me feel even better, John. <laughs> if, if you're looking for positivity, you're going to need to change. Don't change it. Don't change the station. What, people don't have di dials anymore. Anyway, regardless of that, do not click us off of this. This is not going to be the beacon of positivity. We are not going to be a bastion of hope. This is just raw, real emotion, and that's what you're going to get. But we have a really great uh, guest lined up to help us better understand the Detroit Lions, the Bears' first divisional foe of the season. But just in case this is someone's first time listening or watching this show, Aldo, can you give us a quick rundown of how this works? Absolutely. Buffon 55 has three segments. We start by learning about the Bears' upcoming opponent from someone who follows them closely and today we have jeff risden the managing editor over at lions wire and the co-host of the detroit lions podcast he also has a lot of other duties 
but those I think are the only two associated with the, the Detroit Lions. Then that's followed by our B55 segment. That's where I asked John five questions and his response, responses have to be timed to within 55 seconds. That, of course, is John's way of paying tribute to the great Doug Buffon and his uncle, his mentor, and a man who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. We then finish things up by going into Buffon's basement, where we will have a Bears therapy session. And joining us for that session will be Neil Stopchinski of the Draft on Tap show. But until then, John, why don't you take it away? Looking forward to that. Thank you, Aldo. Like you said, our guest tonight is the managing editor over at Lions Wire and the co-host of the Detroit Lions podcast. We now welcome Jeff Risen to the show. Jeff, how you doing? Appreciate you being on. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And so the first divisional matchup for the Bears this season is against the Detroit Lions. And teams kind of, I don't want to say trending in opposite directions, but there are maybe some different attitudes about these teams. Although the Lions have started 0-3, these have not been the traditional, unless, I mean, depending on your outlook, I guess, traditional Lions losses because they haven't been blown out. They've been very competitive. What is, uh, I guess, how what has been the outlook on this team so far? So most people in Detroit and, and most of the media in Detroit, and I'm certainly part of it, um, realize that this is the beginning of something that's not going to happen overnight. Uh, everything that was in Detroit needed to be burned down. Um, and the new, the new regime, Brad Holmes as a general manager, Dan Campbell as a head coach, have done that. They are rebuilding. It is a rebuilding year. Having said that, they're a fun young team. Like, like one of the biggest things about the Detroit Lions in the last few years under Matt Patricia and even Jim Caldwell before that, they were boring. They were not. They were not an, an engaging or particularly interesting team. If you weren't part of Detroit, now you look at the Lions, and maybe it's the head coach. You know, talking about the, the biting the kneecaps and everything. But uh, they're 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 kind of a fun team. Um, they got a lot of youthful energy. They're the youngest team in the NFL now. After after dropping Jamie Collins yesterday, they officially dropped to the lowest, which is good. Um, they're a lot more athletic than they have been. They're a lot more um, energetic and proactive, especially on defense, than they have been. So you're going to see a different Detroit team. Doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to be better than the Detroit teams you've seen recently, but they're different. And and for for us in Detroit, different is really good. Change was welcome. Change was needed. Uh, I, I assume y'all know that sentiment fairly well in Chicago too. Um, and we'll we'll be talking about that. I'm sure. Um, yeah. The, the Lions actually did it. Uh, and uh, we're going through the growing pains of the change now, but the the arrow is absolutely pointing up. And uh, they've been they've been competitive. This is a team that does not quit. They they fight. They play smart. They play aggressive. And they they honestly God they have probably a little bit more talent than than most folks realize. And uh, just not in some of the spots where they need it. <laughs> I, I want to ask you about Dan Campbell because obviously he comes onto the scene. He's talking about biting people's kneecaps, and everyone's talking about the the preseason press conference or the you know when he first uh, is announced as the Detroit Lions head coach, and maybe he wasn't taken seriously by national media, local media, maybe even. But this team is obviously playing for him. You can you can tell that they are. So what has been? the early reaction to Dan Campbell, maybe from a fan's point of view and the outlook of can this guy actually take them to where they want to go? You know, uh, I think, I think most people have realized fairly quickly that he's, he's playing a, a role there um, when he, when he's talking to the media and doing the, the, the wild antics. I mean, and, and it's fun and it's certainly part of his personality. He talks, 
uh, the one day he brought that, he, he uh, opened his press conference by telling us his Starbucks order. Um, and it's it's two venti, venti lattes with double shots of cappuccino in each one. Uh, I almost had a heart attack on the spot there, uh, sitting in the media tent with him. Uh, so, but he he's fun like that. But but when you listen to his press conference and when you watch him coach and listen to him talk to the other coaches, like this this is this is an old school football coach in, in the vein of uh, I don't want to say Pete Carroll, but but he's got that sort of Pete Carroll energy to him, um, where, where everything's competition and he's trying to get the best out of players. Uh, he's surrounded himself with a ton of former players as assistant coaches, Antoine Randall L, Deuce Staley, Anthony Lynn is the offensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn is a defensive coordinator, Hank Fraley is the offensive line coach, you know, a, a ton of recognizable guys, and the players appreciate that. They're like, you know what, these guys did it. Um, and that was something that the old coaching staff under Matt Patricia, they had a bunch of dudes that you know nobody ever really heard of. Did that guy play? Did he, he, played, he played middle school football in 1977? Okay, why, why should I listen to him? Um, and it's really going over very well with the players, uh, certainly with, with, with the players that have been here for a while. Uh, and there's not many of those left. Uh, and that's that's a good thing, by the way. Uh, and it, it look, you're gonna you're gonna get your your sound bites, your quips out of him, and you're gonna have fun with it. And he's going to he's going to have fun with that too. But you got to understand that there is an actual football mind going on there. He went down and intricately broke down the different hand placements on a tight end. Uh, approaching a defensive end and how the defensive end needs to counter it, and it was like it was like something you would you would pay money to see on on an internet program, um, you know, with like like a real pro breaking it down. I think people forget that he played in the NFL for a long time. He played under right. Bill Parcells. Um, th- th- there's 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 more under the hood than there might first appear from the outside there. A quick follow-up to that, because coaching has been a hot topic in Chicago, as you may imagine, in the last couple of yeah. weeks. So uh, when you have Matt Nagy, the head coach of the Chicago Bears, he wants to be the offensive coordinator. He wants to be the play caller. He wants to be the head coach. And if it did, if, if he would have it his way, he'd probably be playing quarterback as well. But uh, but it's it, does Dan Campbell have more of that, I am the leader and I'm going to put people in the right positions to do their job, where you see maybe uh, a Mike Vrabel do or a Mike Tomlin do, where it's just like, I am the leader of men, I can do the time management, I can do the game situations, and everybody else is doing what they need to do. Is that kind of his approach to the game? Yeah, he, he definitely uh, knows how to delegate and respects the delegation of authority. Um, we, we had a coach in, in Detroit, Jim Schwartz, who talked a good game about that and, and tried to be the overwhelming leader, but he couldn't help but put his fingers in every pie, um, sort of the way that you're talking about Nagy. Uh, and and I agree with that from the outside, by the way, um, having having watched uh, this past weekend's games. Uh, yeah, um, uh, he, he's he's good at, 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 at communicating to his assistant coaches what they need to tell the players. Now, he will be direct about it too, but he lets them do their own thing. As long as they're getting their work done and getting the job done the way that he needs it, He's not going to be a guy who's going to go over and and just reiterate what his defensive coordinator says or, you know, step on the toes of the linebackers coach because he didn't like something. He's going to trust them to do their job. And I think that's something that, that's, that's gone over very well with the coaching staff. From a media standpoint, it's very different, again, from what we're used to in Detroit. Um, I, not, I, I hate to say that not every – like, because everything is so new and, and because everything that was old was, was so bad – um, it, it, it's easy to get enamored with the newness of it, 
But, you know, I've been around enough other teams. You know, I've, I've covered the Browns. I've covered the Texans when they were really good uh, before and, and with Bill O'Brien. And, and I've seen, you know, a lot of other teams. I've been around the Colts a lot as a successful organization. Um, I've even been down to Bourbonnais a few times, uh, not, not in a few years. But, it, you know, I, I understand the, the different dynamics from different teams. And what I see from Dan Campbell and how he's approaching it with his assistants I do think it's going to work. And I think that most people in that building believe that it's going to work and they believe in Dan Campbell. Um, it can be a little bit of a tougher sell to the outside um, and, and being 0-3 as a start and losing a game the way that they did this past weekend in epic, unbelievable fashion. Uh, it, it It's it's not easy. Um, they need a win desperately, just as Chicago does. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I think this game, um, it's not going to get a lot of national attention. I think this is a fascinating matchup, honestly. I really do. It really is. And, you know, both both teams, well, the Lions in, a, in an era of change, the Bears trying to capitalize on whatever window is there. If it's, and personally, you saw a lot, I think it might be closed. But uh, but for the Lions, one of the big changes this year was at quarterback. You lose Matthew, Matthew Stafford in a trade. You get a lot of draft capital back. But now it's Jared Goff. Uh, what has been the early return on him? Because I'm sure there are things that, Matt Stafford could do that Jared Goff cannot do. And so what has been the ultimate change when it comes to that offense? Yeah. And you all saw what Jared Goff or what Matthew Stafford can do. Uh, Jared Goff can't do that. <laughs> and and that's one of the reasons why the Rams made that move. Uh, Jared Goff is not as good as Matthew Stafford. We'll get that out right out of the way, right out of the top. And, and you'll have a hard time finding anybody who will say differently. I mean, probably including Goff himself. Uh, he, he realizes that he's different. Uh, the Jared Goff experience for Detroit has been that he gives you one good half per game. And the other half, you absolutely understand why Sean McVay hated him and got rid of him. Uh, and and look, the, the first half against Baltimore is a great example of that. He, he made so many poor decisions and choices with the football. Um, the Lions have a good offensive line. They didn't play great against Baltimore, but it's, it's, a, it's the strength of the team. And the fact that they give him a good pocket and he still goes to his very first read on every throw, even if it's not the best matchup, um, it it's very frustrating. Now, when he lets it, it slide a little and, and lives a little and tries a little, he can play quarterback. Like there, there is legitimate talent in Jared Goff, more than I thought there was, to be honest with you. Uh, we need to see a lot more of it, and we need to see it more consistently in Detroit. Otherwise, he's not going to win, and it's not going to be a long-term thing for him. But um, as far as arm strength goes, the people who, who dog on his arm strength, dude can throw like he's not. Look, he's not Matthew Stafford. He's not Jay Cutler in arm strength. But he's he's not. This isn't Kellen Moore out here. You know, this, this isn't <laughs> Kyle Orton out here. This is, this is somebody who has a, a, a legitimate arm. He just needs to trust it more. So we we we're we're frustrated, but we also understand that it could be worse. I mean, two years ago when, when Matthew Stafford broke his back, it, it was Jeff Driscoll and David Blau. Um, he's better than those guys. He gives them a better chance to win most of the time. But he's look, it, it's a very different change. Matthew Stafford for for all the the stat padford that he got from a significant portion of the Detroit Lions fan base. Um, I, I think most people miss him. <laughs> and uh just the game that Sunday's game is a great example. Matthew Stafford wins that football game. Uh I don't I don't know how he he defends a 66-yard field goal, but I feel like I feel like the Lions would have a win now if Matthew Stafford was their quarterback. I think they'd have one. I don't think they'd have three, but I think they'd have one. 
Well, we'll see what they can do with those draft picks and see what Goff can do for the rest of the season. I want to talk about some of the weapons that Goff has. And a big talking point going into the season was the wide receiving core for this Detroit Lions squad, where not a lot of recognizable names. Uh, you're looking over the thing and you're like, they, they lose they lose Galladay and they they lose Marvin Jones. You're like, so who the, who the hell is going to be playing for the Detroit Lions this year? Uh, can you talk about what the Bears can expect from a wide receiving core? Or is this simply going to be the TJ Hawkinson show? Uh, we hope it's more of the TJ Hawkinson show. Uh, so f- through the first two weeks, he led all NFL tight ends in targets and receptions. He got two targets, caught them both for 10 yards against Baltimore, which had the worst tight end defense in the league entering the game. That's on golf, by the way. That's not on Hawkinson. That's one of the reasons why we're a little down on golf. Uh, the, the number one wide receiver is Khalif Raymond. Um, give yourself a cookie if you if you knew who Khalif Raymond was before I said his name. <laughs> Um, having said that, I'm not going to, the guy's a high effort. He can fly. The problem is he's about 5'10", about 185 pounds. Um, if you touch him, he will get pushed off course. He will get ridden out of bounds, but he's a niche player, but he's with Tyrell Williams out. He's the number one wide receiver on the team. Uh, Amon Ross St. Brown, uh, rookie, fourth round rookie, third, third or fourth round. I can't, I can't keep track. Too many things going on in my head. Um, physical presence. Works the underneath, works as a possession receiver. Um, possession receiver plus is, is the best way to describe him. All of his targets are going to be between like 7 and 12 yards, and he's not going to go down f- with the first contact very easily, but he's not he's not a dynamic field-stretching guy. Uh, they brought in Trinity Benson. They traded for him from Denver just before cutdowns. Another guy, pure vertical speed on the outside, but we haven't seen a lot else out of him. Uh, Quintez Cephas is probably the most talented all-around guy. Um, Big Ten fans remember him from Wisconsin. Big target, um, good good strength, good good body control. Uh, runs a 4-7-40 and plays like he runs a 4-7-40. So it, he's not a guy that's going to get a lot of separation. Uh, a lot of Lions fans like to try to compare him and, and try to make him into the next Kenny Galladay. Galladay was, was both more talented as a route runner and uh, a little bit faster. Uh, but but Cephas has has proven reliable at what he does, and and Goff does look for him. Didn't do it as well against Baltimore. They did a pretty good job of taking him away, um, and and making Khalid Freeman the the number one receiver. So, you know, I, I expect to see Johnson matched up against Cephas, uh, and and then you'll see Raymond maybe try to get some shots elsewhere. Goff is pretty good about identifying like where the the strength of the defense is and avoiding that. Um, it, if that's if that's a strength, I guess. Um, so I I, I kind of think that. The matchup you'll see um, him try to go with is St. Brown um, over the middle out of the slot and then Raymond working the outside in tandem routes with that and, and working in tandem off of Hawkinson, who's really, really good. Yeah, so talking about some of those, the the uh, the history of these weapons here, Detroit has had an issue having that mainstay running back since probably I guess you could say Barry Sanders if you want to go the whole way back there but 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 they it's not for lack of it's not for lack of trying you, you, they go out and they get a job at best an Amir Abdullah a a, a carry on Johnson and and now DeAndre Swift uh, yeah. if, from a Bears if from a Bears fan point of view is the is DeAndre Swift the guy that is going to be that mainstay running back in Detroit, or is he going to join that list that I just that I kind of just rambled off there? Okay, uh, he's better than those guys, and has proven that he's got more juice than those guys, um, just health wise and everything. I, 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 I'll defend Kerryon Johnson a little bit. That guy was really good until he got hurt. Um, he just can't stay healthy, and, and that's that's why he's bouncing around the league now. Uh, 
Swift is a very talented guy, but they do run a timeshare. It's a one-two punch with Jamal Williams. In fact, Jamal has started all three games. Uh, that was actually a big thing in, in Dan Campbell's press conference. Says, how come how come DeAndre Swift isn't a starter? Um, that's 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 the fun that we get in Detroit with with some of the questions. Um, Swift has more carries. He he actually leads the team in pass targets as well. Um, he's one ahead of Hawkinson, so that sort of tells you where the, the passing thing. And Williams, by the way, is fifth in that. So uh, they they do throw to their backs and, and tight ends quite a bit. Uh, Swift is a talented guy. He played great against Baltimore. He really did. He just didn't get the ball enough. Um, it was a, this case. He had six touches before halftime. One of them was a gadget play where he tried to throw the ball back and did his best Ryan Mallett impression with the gigantic wide base. It was awful. Um, they were lucky that it wasn't a pick six the other way. Um, after halftime, he touched the ball 15 times, and there was it's not coincidental that the Lions offense perked up a lot when it ran more through Swift. But Jamal Williams is a very big part of the team. He's an integral part. He is also the most fun human being I've been around in a football context in a long time. Dude enjoys life and makes makes it vibrant for everybody around him, and they need that. Like, like it's tough to be 0-3. It's tough to be looking up at these teams. They're not going to be favored in any game, uh, probably until Pittsburgh comes out, because I think Pittsburgh's awful. Um, and that's, Same. you know, you, you got to have that sort of, you know, joy to vivre life. Um, and Dan Campbell brings that, and Jamal Williams brings that, too. And it, it's a very welcome uplift. And, by the way, he's still pretty good at, between the tackles, too, and he can still catch. So, you know, not not to downplay what Swift does, but uh, don't, don't forget about Jamal Williams here. Absolutely. Something to look out for. Dual threats, or I should say a uh, dual back system. Somebody yeah. somebody might have a big game there. So uh, coming off of the Browns game, the Bears defense, you know, the performance is going to go unnoticed because of what the offense did. But they did rack up five sacks. They did give Baker Mayfield some fits in the first three quarters. Uh, can we expect that momentum to roll into Detroit? Will there be opportunities to exploit anyone on that defensive uh, or that uh, offensive front for the Lions? Yeah, and and I did I, I did watch the the, the Bears Browns game twice actually from a Browns perspective because I do cover the Browns as well and I I was very impressed especially in the first half the the play design and the scheming from the Chicago defense I thought that they did some very good things uh, I thought that they did a great job of attacking J- uh, Jedrick Wills at left tackle when he had when he was injured and couldn't move uh, I, I thought that, you know you, you see the wounded animal you attack it um, and I thought they did a very good job of that you know did the, the overload bliss the time where they had uh, uh, two guys rush at the same time, you know, at, on that, that you can do that sort of thing. So Panay Sewell is at left tackle. He's the rookie. He's very celebrated. He did not have a good game against Baltimore, uh, but generally he's a, he's, he's going to be really good guys. Really good. Um, I, I still think he's better going to be better at right tackle in the long run. Um, his lack of lack of length got exposed a little bit against Baltimore. They did a pretty good job with uh, their rookie Odafe Owe. Um, of, of, of sort of staying out and, and keeping at arm's distance and making him lunge a little bit and get off balance. Uh, and you can do that. Khalil Mack can do that. He's, he's a talented guy. You know, that they have guys that can do that in Chicago. So I worry about that. Matt Nelson on the other side um, is the same Matt Nelson who played defensive end for Iowa four years ago. He is now the starting right tackle with Taylor Decker out. Decker won't be back this week, unfortunately, um, which is too bad because he's really good. Uh, and, and he came off, he was coming off a really, really strong season last year. Um, so they're shuffled a little bit. Inside, Jonah Jackson had a rotten game against Baltimore, but the first two weeks he was really good at left guard. Frank Ragnow is the best center in the NFL. I don't care. I'll take your money. He, he he's he's phenomenal. Um, just he, he's due an All Pro this year. Um, he made the Pro Bowl last year. He's he's going to be an All Pro first teamer this year. Um, and is playing up to it. 
Halapulo Vadi Vaitai is the right tackle or right guard. He was the right tackle last year. He sucked. They moved him inside. He's better. Um, he's not great, but he he's a perfectly fine starting right guard and a pretty darn good run blocker. And he cleans out. And he he's also really good at cleaning out linebackers. Um, I guess a three man front. Now, Akeem Hicks is going to protect some of that. You y'all have some talent up front. That it's going to be a, that's going to be a fun matchup to watch because it is the strength of the Lions team. You know, Darren Fells as a, as a tight end, pretty darn good guy for, for his age still, can still line up in line. They do use him and Hawkinson both in line at the same time and will throw or run out of the formation. So they, they do have some ability to counter what the Bears front does. I mean, look, no disparaging the Bears front here for me. Um, that, that's a talented unit, but they're going to have to work at it uh, a little bit more than they did against Cleveland. Uh, now, Cleveland, look, they don't have Joel Batonio. Um, I personally thought that the J.C. Treader had an awful game at center for, for Cleveland. I, I thought the Bears had a distinct advantage there that they won't have this time. They'll have to move that attack out a little bit more against the guards in this one. Should be an interesting chess match. You're really looking forward to that one. I do want to switch sides of the ball real quick, though, because the Bears' offense gave up nine sacks last, last week, which is why I said the five sacks from the defense might be overshadowed. Yeah. What can what can the Bears expect if they keep going with this five man protection they seem to love so much and maybe not running and not moving the pocket? What can the Bears' offensive line expect from the Detroit front? Uh, they're gonna they're gonna expect trouble, quite honestly, because the Lions bring five or six more than any other team in the NFL. Uh, they they rush five or six on fifty six percent of their defensive snaps. Uh, if you try to block them straight up, look, they're not the most talented group. Romeo Okwara can can play. Um, he's not Miles Garrett. He's not even Jadevian Clowney, but he's in that next tier. Like, like, don't sleep on this guy. He got 10 sacks last year with no schematic help whatsoever. Uh, so so he has some ability. His younger brother Julian, much more of a one-dimensional guy, but he can he can sizzle off the edge. They have something in Ali McNeil as their rookie nose tackle. That guy is fun. Bears fans would love him if he was in Chicago. Um, he, he's 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 a, he's a up-and-coming young player. Uh, and one of the other things that I like about it, so one of the things that, that scares Lions fans about Justin Fields is his ability to take off. Well, they just played Lamar Jackson, and Lamar got one 30-yard run early in the game, and then they did a phenomenal job of making him sit in the pocket and beat them from the pocket and get the pass rush to him under control. Um, that's going to work against Chicago, too. Um no offense, guys, but it, it no, is. You're right. Uh, and, 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 you know, you're going to see guys like Michael Brockers and Levi Anzarike um, get free at the end. And they, they do they do a good job of mixing up and, and dropping down uh, a fourth lineman down and then rushing. You know, Alex Anzalo might come from the middle off the blitz. You might see Derek Barnes looping around the outside. You might see Tracy Walker blitzing out of the slot from a safety. The uh, defensive coordinator, Aaron Glenn, does a really good job of the old school. Bill Parcells, um, the, the Parcells without Belichick defense, if you're familiar with that, that's kind of what they run. Um, it, it's creative. It can be overly aggressive and, and leave you exposed at times, especially with the cornerbacks that they have. And we'll probably talk about that in a minute. But uh, they have the ability to get to the passer. It's much much improved and much more proactive pass rushing. They do do some stunts. They do do some, some twists. They will do an overload blitz every now and then. They're going to have – you know, Cody White here, a company, they're going to have to be sharp. Um, Jermaine Afedi is going to have to play a lot better than he did last week. Um, and I won't, I won't even pile on Jason Peters because it's, look, Miles Garrett's superhuman. Um, if you're not superhuman, you're going to have problems with him. Uh, so, uh, again, you're, you're getting a, a little bit of respite there. But uh, the Lions, they're, they're not chopped liver up front either. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if Jason Peters, it's it's very apparent that he can't handle speed rushing right now. Yeah. And so is that is that something that the that he can expect more of, or the Lions or I probably yeah. have seen on tape. Yeah, and and uh, they they brought in Charles Harris, and uh, I didn't think much of it, and he didn't play all that great in the preseason. He played really really well last week. He can fly around the edge, he can corner, but he he did a great job of playing that outside contain rush where I'm going to beat the tackle around the outside shoulder, but I'm still not going to give Lamar an escape. Um, they they did a phenomenal job at that. I cannot commend what Aaron Glenn designed that enough. And I, I think you're going to see a lot of those similar concepts going against Justin Fields, who, um, from my impression of him anyways, isn't as willing to run as what Lamar is, but can run if you ask him to. Uh, and I, I think uh, if he doesn't run a little bit more and take some more chances at that, um, and, and help his offensive line out a little bit on those. Uh, it could be a long day for him again. Could be a long day for everybody who's cheering for the Chicago Bears. But uh, I digress. You did mention the cornerbacks a little bit. I do want to kind of preview them a little bit for Bears fans because if the pocket does get clean a few times or they are able to throw the ball down the field a little bit, are there going to be opportunities? Because Allen Robinson has not been – has not – kick-started himself yet. Darnell Mooney, the blazing speed, has not broke, broken free yet. They have speed with Marquise Goodwin and Bird, and they, yeah. they bring in all this speed, but they have not pushed the ball down the field really at all this season. Could there be opportunities with that hyper-aggressive defense if they're able to pick up some blitzes? Will there be opportunities down the field? Yeah, absolutely. The the starting outside cornerbacks, um, and, and the graphics up there for those of you watching, uh, Amani Oruwarie and Bobby Price. Uh, Oruwarie is, uh, he might be PFF's worst corner. Um, if he's not, he, he's close to it and he belongs there. He did have a great interception last week, um, where he sort of baited Lamar Jackson into something. That was the first interception of the season for the, the Lions that, that was late in the game. Uh, that sort of tells you where they're at. Look, Jeff Okuda is gone. Um, Ifiatu Malifanu, their third round rookie who has some talent and, and can play, um, is also gone. They're both out. Bobby Price was an undrafted safety from Norfolk State. He played safety until the day before the first preseason game this year. He never played corner a second in his life. He's a starting outside corner right now. He is he's long and he can he's a great great athlete. And he did he did his best. Um, he did better than you would expect of a guy who that just meets that, that description against Baltimore. But he is vulnerable. He's young. He doesn't have the instincts or the eyes with it yet. They get no no help from their safeties. Will Harris in coverage is an absolute liability. He's a, he's an atrocity back there in coverage. Um, he's never gotten better at it. He's okay in the box. He can, he can cheat up and take away your tight end or a running back out of the backfield. But if, if he's involved in coverage against your wide receiver, your wide receiver has the advantage. It doesn't matter if they're bracketing or whatever. Uh, Tracy Walker is the other safety. Uh, kind of a disappointment for me personally. I, I've really liked the guy. I've kind of trumpeted him up. He just hasn't, hasn't lived up to it. Uh, he actually split some time with Dean Marlowe last week. Their slot corner is undrafted rookie AJ Parker. I got to bring him up. He is the best cornerback on the team right now. He look, this is a guy. He wasn't even good at Kansas State. I remember. I remember watching Kansas State games that when after they signed him, I went back and watched a little bit. Like, look at this guy. He's he's actually played pretty darn well. Um, he got victimized uh, on a bad switch last week, but again with with all the youth, and that's the thing. If you have a, if you give your quarterback protection, whoever your quarterback is, um, if it, if it's Andy Dalton coming back, if it's if it's Nick Foles, I don't see that happening. But you're going to have the ability to take those shots because the, the the secondary look, they're young, they're energetic, they're eager. 
but they're completely inexperienced. And it's going to be, you know, th there are opportunities to be taken. Um, the, the, the Ravens left a lot. Marquise Brown dropped two perfect Lamar Jackson passes, hit both hands. Both would have been touchdowns. He left them both on the field. Sammy Watkins dropped a touchdown pass where he beat Price over the top. One of the best throws you will ever see from Lamar Jackson. It, it hit him in the hand and dropped it. So there are opportunities to be taken there. You got to take advantage of it. Uh, I, I'm a big Allen Robinson fan. I wanted him to come to Detroit. It's his home. Wanted him to get back there to, to help the receiving core out. Uh, he, he will have opportunities. I, I, I shamelessly say this. I hope he gets some because I like the guy. He's a good receiver and he's, he's being wasted a little bit. I would like to see some production out of him. No kidding. He's on that franchise tag. He's trying to get paid and he might have enough. He might have had enough of Chicago. So you might still get your wish uh, down, down the line. I, I do want to bring in Aldo Gandia. Aldo, you've been interacting with the chat room a little bit. You've got, you've been stewing on some questions of your own. Do you have anything for Jeff before we cut him loose? I do. Absolutely. I'll, I'll begin with Chubbs asking, how is Nick Williams doing in Detroit? I follow him on social media. He's one of my favorite bears. Good question. He's played he's played well, especially the last two weeks. Got off to a little bit of a slow start. He did not have a good 2020. Um, I'm going to chalk that up to the fact that he actually has some personality to him, and Matt Patricia hates anybody that has any personality whatsoever. Um, he made football purposely boring and, and awful. Um, and and he, also, Nick is now playing more of the five technique, and I think that suits his game a little bit better. He had a – I think he has a sack and a half. Um, played played very well this past week. Played very well against San Francisco. Uh, so he, you know, th this is a guy that you know he's a fun guy. He, he's he's. I don't think he's. I think Michael Brockers is a little older, but those are the two oldest guys on the defense now. That sort of tells you where the, where the Lions are at age wise. He's a welcome veteran. Um, he's a guy that that a lot of Lions fans, quite frankly, didn't expect to make it this year. Um, and earned his way onto the team with a good preseason and a good attitude. Um, and, and good veteran mentorship for the young guys around him. Look, they drafted Levi Anzarike, Aline McNeil. Uh, they brought in uh, Jay Sean Cornell is coming back this week um, off suspension. Didn't play last year as a rookie um, because he tore his Achilles. Um, Nick, Nick is a very good guy for those type of players, and, and he can still play too. So, yeah, good good question. Yeah. And Ravi asked uh, about Cephas. He was really good at uh, Wisconsin. Do you expect him to grow in his role with the Lions? You know, he's – He's probably being asked too much as the number one or number two receiver. But if you if he's your number three outside receiver, you're going to be okay. And that's sort of what he was last year when he was behind Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. Um, he's got talent. He he's he's got a limited ceiling, but I think his floor is high enough that he can be a productive receiver. Uh, he's going to get. I'm going to say he's going to wind up with around 50 to 60 catches this year, probably close to 100 targets. Um, nothing special. Not not anything that your fantasy team would need. But but a quality wide receiver, he's he's going to play in the league for a long time. Probably never be a star, and he he honestly probably shouldn't start. But uh, he he's certainly a useful player. Roy has a great question. How did the Lions put together a rather impressive defensive game plan against Lamar Jackson in Baltimore after giving up forty one and thirty five to San Francisco and Green Bay respectively? Okay, I will give you the diplomatic answer was that they started to get they, – they figured things out a little bit better. Their communication was better. Um, the number one thing that they did was they yanked Jamie Collins and his slow ass out of the lineup uh, and sent him packing. Uh, he got he – was, he was awful, guys. Um, and, and, and so I covered him in Cleveland when he absolutely quit on that team when they weren't winning. That was not the case with Jamie Collins this time around. He just doesn't have it anymore. Like, like – 
he, he was legitimately trying. His attitude was so much better. I, I, I saw it firsthand. He just can't run anymore. And the fact that they took him out and put in guys that can run, um, and they also did that at cornerback a little bit too. Um, Bobby Price can, can run a lot. Um, the, 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 they have more speed now on the field. Bringing Dean Marlowe in, I think, helped with the speed. The, the emphasis on being faster, uh, I, honestly, it made a huge difference against that. And you also have to take into the fact the Ravens did not play well. They left points on the field, uh, much much like the Browns did against the Bears. You know, the, with those two first, those two fourth downs in the first half. Um, if the, if those don't happen, the Browns win. You know, forty to six, not not twenty six to six. Um, so th- th- it, it's a similar situation to that too. I, I don't want to give the Lions' defense too much credit because the Ravens did not have their A game, and that that needs to be emphasized too. Uh, my final question is, uh, you said you watched the Bears-Browns tape a couple of times, and so I've read your stuff and heard you on pa- podcasts now for many years and really respect your evaluation of players. So what's your evaluation of the Chicago Bears? I think their defense can win games and and carry an offense that, holds its, that can hold serve, but right now that offense is a mess um, schematically. Um, look, I, 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 I won't, I won't pile on Nagy because I don't know the dynamics of what's going in that locker room. But what I saw was an offense that doesn't understand what personnel it has. You've when you've got tackles like that, how do you leave Jason Peters alone against Miles Garrett? How do you leave Jermaine Effetti alone? The, the one sack that the, the tack, tack McKinley touched Justin Fields 1.79 seconds after the snap that can't happen that's not your quarterback's fault that's not Jermaine Defetti's fault that's your scheme's fault if you don't upgrade that offensive scheme you're going to waste a defense that I'm, I'm not going to say that they're elite but that that look they got some dudes up front um in, in in Detroit Lions podcast land having dudes is good the Bears have some dudes and and, and I, I like Jaleel Johnson on the outside I think I think he's becoming a, a pretty darn good corner um, the, the window's closing on that group, but uh, that offense has has slammed it completely shut. You're asking a whole lot out of that defense. And I think you saw in the Cleveland game, the defense was like, what's the point here? Um, and, and Detroit Detroit fans know that very well um, from the Matthew Stafford era and when they had Calvin Johnson and when they were, you know, when, when Stafford was, you know, throwing for 5,000 yards and 40 touchdowns and, and they still won four games. It's very, very tough to have a one-sided football team that can only win if one side of the ball is absolutely perfect. Your defense can be close to that, but until that offense improves, y'all, sorry, man, it's, it's it, it ain't there. <laughs> it's been one-sided for forty years, Jeff. I think we're starting to get used. You know, it, it, it's weird because um, in, in Detroit, it's mostly been the defense that's been the problem, and the offense has been okay, and, and it's sort of you know flipped with Chicago. But, uh, it's, it's some, something about the North. Can't, 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 oh, and yeah, so there's another another question there. Uh, what fans' reaction to the to the 66-yard field goal is just like, oh, really? Really? If you're oh. going to set a record, it's going to be against us. I, I, I assume that was the attitude toward it. Uh, yeah, so uh, the last time that Justin Tucker came to Detroit was a Monday Night Football game in 2013, and he hit a 61-yarder with under a minute to go. Uh, and so we, we were like 66 yards. Come on. And, and then it hit the goalpost. Uh, and and so Bears fans know this very well. The goalposts in Ford Field are not typically friendly to the opposing team. And, and the nope. in, look, look, it's a phenomenal kick. I, I love fr- from a neutral fan standpoint, it's freaking amazing that he made it. I loved seeing it. 
but it happened after a delay of game penalty that they yeah. missed, which drove me absolutely. So, so I'm like shaking in visceral anger that they missed the penalty. And then the field goal happens. And I'm like, I want to celebrate. Like I, I just witnessed history, but say, God, it happened against my team. Ah, yep. it, it, it was rough. Um, most people took to blaming the refs and they don't take it too much on Justin Tucker. Cause what he did, Damn, dude. <laughs> what, are you, what, are, what are you gonna do? It was a doink yeah. of destiny. That's that's basically yeah, what it exactly. came down. If, to. If, if you if you tell Dan Cam- and Dan Campbell said it, it's like if if their game plan is to kick a sixty-six yard field goal to beat us, I'm gonna let them try to run that plan. Sure, it happened, and it happened. It is what it is, and it just seems like that's the uh, that's the luck of the uh, of the NFC North moving forward. <laughs> but uh, Jeff, before we kick you out of here, uh, please let our fans know, and all of our listeners, our watchers know uh, how they can connect with you on social media, how they can watch your stuff, how they can listen to your stuff, how they can read your stuff, because you, you cover a lot more than just, you know, just straight up lion stuff. There's a lot more to digest there. Yeah, I do. Um, uh, I, I'm the managing editor for the Lions Wire at USA Today. I also uh, did the Browns Wire as the managing editor for there for four seasons. Uh, I stepped back from that, but I do still write there. Um, that's why I watched the, the Bears game with such interest this past weekend. Uh, you can find me on the Detroit Lions podcast, exactly that. We did a YouTube, uh, we streamed it last night. We interviewed Dean Blandino, the former NFL director of officiating. He now works for Fox as a rules analyst. And we talked to him about a lot of things. Um, and it is a great conversation. So check that out. It's on YouTube. You can find it at your uh, uh, podcast providers as well. Um, I do radio here. I, I live I live right across the water from Milwaukee and West, West Michigan. So uh, I'm, I'm on the radio in Grand Rapids quite a bit. Uh, you can also find my work. I do general stuff, NFL and NFL draft stuff, which is actually my most fun thing to do at Real GM, footballrealgm.com. Please check that out. And you can always get me on Twitter at Jeff Risden. That's R-I-S-D-O-N. It's all one word together. Thank you. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, he's the managing editor over at Lions Wire, Jeff Risden. Jeff, we really appreciate you being on, and we will talk to you down the road. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We'll be back with more Buffone 55 after this. The Barroom Network presents two fired-up Bears fans. They are ready to rumble on the Bear Debate.
Welcome back to Buffon 55. Now it's time for our B55 segment. That's when I ask John five questions and his response must be completed within 55 seconds. This is John's way of paying tribute to his uncle, Doug Buffon, who played 15 seasons with the Bears and wore number 55. John, are you ready to go? I'm ready. I'm really ready for this week. All right. Uh, I've got some tough ones for you, so you better uh, really bring it, all right? Everybody's counting. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm sure. So uh, Justin Fields' uh, debut didn't go as planned. The young quarterback was sacked nine times, and Bears only managed one net yard passing. John, I know you're not a Matt Nagy apologist, anything but an apologist for Matt Nagy, but what do you think needs to be the attitude towards the Bears' head coach in Hallis Hall? You got 55 seconds, brother. Listen, we have been waiting for the last straw for two years. When is it going to happen? The head coach has exposed himself as a fraud so many times, and what he did to Justin Fields last Sunday was a fireable offense on its own. He looks lost, he sounds lost, and all the cliches in the world are not going to save him in the end. That was a pathetic performance, and we are to the point now where no matter who the Bears play, they will be outcoached, and that includes the kneecap-biting psychopath that is the head coach of the Detroit Lions right now. I'd rather play for Dan Campbell than Matt Nagy. He had five months to cater an offensive scheme around Justin Fields, and that's what he trotted out. That game plan would have been the same for Andy Dalton. It would have been the same for Nick Foles. It would have been the same for Mitchell Trubisky. There wasn't one creative use of Justin Fields' skills against the Browns last Sunday. Do not let Matt Nagy ruin Justin Fields. Wow. <laughs> 4,000 Glover says, John, how badly do you want to power drive Matt Nagy? <laughs> Figuratively more than you can imagine. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's a great response, though, because I think you perfectly captured there the frustration that the Chicago Bears fans have with the head coach of the uh, Bears. And uh, let's move on quickly now to question number two. In his press conference on Monday, Matt Nagy said, everything is on the table. That isn't very specific. And he wasn't much more specific today. What do you actually hope was on the table and the changes that we should see Sunday uh, 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 in the matchup against the Lions? You got 55 seconds, brother. Well, the change I'd like to see is for Matty the Clown and his three-ring circus to leave town, but I don't think that's going to happen quite yet. What I would like to see, though, is Bill Lazor calling plays. I wish I had a job where I could just fire myself and then bring myself back for no apparent reason. Schematically, though, I would like to see Justin Fields moving outside the pocket a little bit more. I would like to see more screen plays to compensate for the poor offensive line and maybe see some designed plays for Justin Fields' athleticism. What I think we're going to get is more end-arounds and shovel passes and maybe the ultimate Matt Nagy move would to be to start Nick Foles that would be the ultimate deflection move and he'd basically be saying I told you Justin wasn't ready let me bring in Nick to save the day guys we have been asking for changes and adjustments for three years this is the guy who gave up play calling only when they were on a six game losing streak and the team was falling apart and then he still took it back he thinks this is a good system he wants to run this yeah, he does want to run it. He is one stubborn SOB. I mean, there's just no way around it. Uh, so he would not let people know 
today what decision uh, was made as to who was going to call the plays. Now, when I spoke with Greg Gabriel, the former Bears scouting director, about that on the show this morning, Gabriel Talks Football, he said that that is part of the competitive advantage and that you don't want to let the Lions know because they'll go back and look at the tape of all the the the, uh, the uh, games that laser called the game to help them better prepare. That it's uh, obscuring their prep preparation, for lack of a better way of putting it. Do you agree with that? Listen, I respect what Greg Gabriel has to say, but I'm tired of the Bears pretending like they're they're protecting the nuclear codes. I, I, I'm tired of I'm tired of the Bears pretending like they have something worth guarding. I think I honestly just think that Matt Nagy doesn't want to tell people who's playing call uh, who's calling the plays because if they win on Sunday, he doesn't want to want people to think that Bill Lazor was calling the plays. Yeah, I think if they if they go out and they put up a bunch of points and Bill Lazor was calling plays, Matt Nagy doesn't want that to be an indictment on him. So he's just going to say, I'm not telling you who was calling the plays. Maybe it was me. Maybe it was Bill Lazor. I'm not going to tell you either way. And so if they <laughs> if they go out and they score a bunch of points, oh, maybe it was me. It could have been Bill. But no, I just think it's more BS. And we've just been eating this for too long. <laughs> and I hate to eat BS. <laughs> All right, let's move on to question three. After the game on Sunday, Bears tight end Jimmy Graham retweeted stats that showed the Bears gained one point yard per play uh, in what that it was the second worst uh, yards per average in the last century. Now, Matt Nagy has always been perceived as a player's coach. But do you think Graham's public act is the start of something the clock, the clock starts when you do, brother. Well, it's not like this hasn't happened before. Nick Foles got into it with him on the sideline last year, and then last week got caught on the sideline saying this this uh, offense doesn't work. And that's in your quarterback room. Those are the guys who are closest to Justin Fields. But uh, as far as the Jimmy Graham thing goes, he has played with some great quarterbacks, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers, and he has played on some really, really good offenses. And I'm sure he knows when an offense is dysfunctional. And if you're a player's coach and you have guys taking subtle jabs at you and your offense sucks and you can't win games, what's your redeeming quality? What do you actually bring to the table as a head coach? Imagine how uh, Allen Robinson feels. This guy averaged 100 catches the last two years, and he's on pace for 57, and they added an extra game. This guy is on the franchise tag trying to get paid. Imagine his thoughts towards Matt Nagy in that offense right now. Yeah, I think uh, Allen Robinson has some uh bad feelings towards uh, uh, Matt Nagy and Brandon Parker, A-Rob's agent, is probably not very happy with the state of affairs at Hallis Hall and with Matt Nagy's offense. No doubt about that. Question number four, switching to the defense now. They actually held the Browns in check for a large portion of that matchup. I was there. They did a fantastic job, and it was a one-score game heading into the fourth quarter. What was your evaluation of the defensive effort? And is this a sign of things to come? You are on the clock. Well, what's sad is that the defense played its heart out against the Browns. That was a one-score game going into the fourth quarter. But you can only do so much. This isn't the 2018 Bears but it was a defense that deserved to win the football game. They had five sacks, but the only thing that's going to be remembered is that the offense had one net passing yard and they gave up nine sacks. So I fear that this defense is going to spend too much time on the field and eventually 
Someone's going to get hurt. There's going to be multiple injuries, and they have zero offensive support. So if they let up for just one second, this team is going to get throttled. This defense cannot keep picking up the check for Matt Nagy. The pass rush looked improved. Robert Quinn actually looked good. Roquan Smith and Jalen Johnson are establishing themselves as household names, but it doesn't mean a damn thing if you only score six points. What do you know? Chicago wasting another year of a solid defense. Nothing new. Boy, you nailed that. Um, I love the line, <laughs> keep picking up the check from Matt and Hagee. Yeah, they not only are picking up the check, but they're driving them to the parking lot, yes. paying for the Uber or whatever it is. They're just going way beyond the call of duty. And one of the lasting uh, memories that I will have of uh, witnessing that debacle in Cleveland was just seeing the expression of those defensive players, how dejected they were, how tired they were, how hurt many of them were uh, physically, probably emotionally too. That was really, really sad to see. It is. It sucks. It's uh, year after year you see the defense, and now they've clearly taken a step back from where they were a few years ago. But to see that defense, and in the NFL today, you don't need a dominant defense. I, I've said this before. I think Bears fans get brainwashed to think that they have a, they have to have a top two defense in order for them to be successful. No, you have to have a good defense because in today's NFL, a lot of points are scored. The only difference is the Bears don't score a lot of points. So they have to have that top five dominant defense. So it's just unfortunate to see a defense that you could really win some games with just wasted. There you go. All right, our final question. I'm going to turn off the clock for this one, okay? You were heated up after the Bears lost to the Browns on the Bear football post-game show, after-game show. Yeah, you were heated up more and more than usual. The veins were popping out. There were tons of comments in the chat room. Look at those Look at those veins popping out of the back. They're going to blow. They're going to blow. <laughs> now that you've had some time to settle down, hit the bag, do some cardios, do some curls, all that stuff, do you think that Bears fans who were behaving like you were are overreacting to this one game or is this the kind of vitriol the Bears organization can expect from all their fans this season? The clock is off, brother. O overreacting? Absolutely not. I will not be force-fed the status quo anymore with this organization. I'm tired of hearing about the whys. I'm tired of going back and looking at the tape. I'm tired of hearing about how good practice was. And I'm tired of being told where we're at. It's all nonsense. It's all garbage. I'll tell you where we're at. We're a franchise that can't get the GM role figured out. We're a franchise that can't seem to hire a strong head coach. And we're a franchise that has to talk about accolades that happened 36 years ago. Newsflash, no one is Super Bowl shuffling anymore. The song is finished. Turn the tape over. There has been systemic mediocrity in Chicago for four decades. Hire some football people that can run the damn franchise and get someone in there that can lead some men to a championship. Are we overreacting? Hell no. Every year we aim for just good enough. Well, if we can get to nine wins, maybe we can squeak into the playoffs. You think they do that crap in Green Bay, in Pittsburgh, in New England? They, they may not win every game, but they sure as hell expect to win. The standard that has been set for this franchise is embarrassing. Overreacting. I just wish someone in the front office would react. That'll do it for the B-55 segment. We'll be back with Buffon's Basement after this.
Baseball at the Barroom. On Monday nights, get ready for the Friendly Confines Extra Innings. It's 30 minutes, it's clever, it's concise, and it's all Cubs coverage. That's followed by a killer White Sox show, South Burbs Hitmen. Then on Thursday afternoon, it's Cubs and Sox opinions and analysis with Crosstown Crosstalk. Baseball at the Barroom. Join us live and or on demand. Welcome back to Buffone 55. It's time for the Buffone's Basement segment where we just have a free-for-all talking bears. Aldo Gandhi is going to jump into this conversation. And with us tonight is Neil Stopchinski. You may know him from the Draft on Tap on the Barroom Network. Neil, how you doing? Appreciate you being on. I appreciate it, guys. It's been a while. How about that? Um, every day is an adventure right now, isn't it? Absolutely unbelievable. <laughs> what we had to witness yeah. on Sunday and what we've been dealing with in terms of press conferences ever since, you know, post-game Sunday um today was even as laughable as it was on sunday so it's you know we just keep on you know rolling down the hill it's what it seems like right yeah we're we're on a perpetual motion machine is what it seems like but uh, i i do want to open this conversation uh about matt Nagy, and you know a lot of people are thinking that he's not going to make it out of the season some people some people claiming that if he loses to detroit the seat could be ultimately hot uh i want to neil you're the newcomer right now so i want to go to you first do you see any scenario that matt Nagy doesn't make it out of this season you know, that's the interesting thing, man. Is I, I think I saw the same thing that you saw popping up. I was just scrolling up, you know, through Twitter, um, uh, you know, earlier this week. It might have been yesterday. I'm not sure who it was that said it, but it was somebody that allegedly has connections with inside, uh, within the four walls of Hallis Hall and uh, this uh, sort of fortress that, uh, that of, of this fortress of good opinions that were built up around. Matt Nagy over the course of the past, uh, you know, three and a half years is all of a sudden uh, a little bit weaker and or non-existent at this point. Um, again, I mean, you, you just got to like you take it with a grain of salt, right? You know, it's it's one of those things you can't really, you know, take it until, you know, something actually happens. But got to be honest, guys, Sunday felt different. You know, Sunday felt about as incompetent as it's ever felt. You know, I, I've, I've been on I've been on staffs where there's a season or two where everything just feels like the wheels are completely off. And you're you're just holding on to your ass to try to you know, you know you're just like treading water so you don't drown, right? And and that's kind of how I feel where we're at right now. If if these guys go up in Detroit and get curb stomped, I would not be surprised if Aggie gets the axe on Monday. If we go through the rest of the season looking as incompetent at times as we did on Sunday, he'll be gone by Black Friday, or I should say Black Monday. 
day after the Monday after Black Friday. Yeah, I, I would not be surprised. Uh, I I know I know it, it's it's bizarre to think of that because this this you know franchise this administration, uh, you know historically they let the the coach ride throughout the year, right? They they just let him like you know suffer and, and suffer and suffer until the year's over. Then they give him the axe. But I would not be surprised if they were a, a little bit more uh, on the front end of things this time. Aldo, you have been someone who thought that Matt Nagy going into the season was not only safe this year, but potentially safe next year. And you actually kind of brought me over to your side of the road at one point where I was believing that. Now I'm starting to uh, waffle back to where I was originally at. But for someone that thought then that thought that there was a two-year deal in place with the McCaskies and Ryan Pace and, and Matt Nagy, where are you at with this? Well, certainly when I said that, I didn't anticipate the uh, catastrophe in Cleveland. But nonetheless, I think that this team is still good enough that they're going to win some games. And even despite uh, this, the fact that the schedule is going to get tougher for a good portion of the middle of the season and into the, the last quarter of the season, but I, I still think that it's going to be it's going to take a lot for management to fire Matt Nagy. Uh, and right now it's a two-headed monster. It's Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. They're joined at the hip. So if uh, Ted Phillips, George McCaskey, if they insist to Ryan Pace that he fire Matt Nagy as coach, then what happens? You know, then then is the handwriting on the wall for right that Ryan Pace won't uh come back in 22, 2022? I don't know. But I I, I just think that the, the management is gonna see that a smoother transition to whatever they want to do in the future is if those two guys stay together. I hate to say it, but that's the case. Hopefully now we won't have any more debacles like the one against the Browns. We'll see. We'll see. And and uh, I think I think Neil's right. I think this this next coming off of an embarrassment like that, this game will be uh, another barometer. So, uh, Neil, I do want I do want to ask you this, and I'm glad you're on for this because this week has launched a big social media. I don't want to say debate, but along the lines of should Bears fans or should Chicago be apologizing to Mitchell Trubisky because they see what just, Justin Fields did and they say, well, look, Mitch never had a chance then. It, maybe it was all the coach and maybe when Mitch catches on somewhere, uh, he, he's going to be he's going to live up to that potential they thought he was going to live up to. I'm of the mindset that you could have you could not get it done. And the coach is bad. I think both can be I think both can be possible. Uh, but you're really into the evaluation process with it when it comes to guys coming out of college. Did, I, I am assuming that you think that Nagy didn't do Trubisky any favors, but could things have gone differently with a different head coach? Uh, potentially. I, I think with the way you got to look at it is we're talking about uh, uh, a comparison of four quarters versus four years. Right, guys? I mean, like, you know, over the, over the course of a body of work, as long as four years is, uh, you know, you, I, I understand Uncle Mike is, you know, pound the table, pound the table and, and, and acting very victorious over the fact right now that, you know, Justin Fields looked as terrible as arguably Mitch, Mitch Trubisky has over the course of his career here. But, I mean, we, we got to be honest. Like, there, there was no uh, semblance of improvement over the entire course of those four years. If anything, there was regression, which is a scary thing. You know, I, I have to imagine that this has to be the low of Justin Fields, and it's only going to get better as this goes forward. I mean, you know, you name, name a quarterback besides Peyton Manning that looked even remotely competent in, in, in his first NFL game. Peyton Manning passed for 300 plus and had a touchdown. Granny threw three picks, 
but he at least kept Indianapolis in the game until, you know, they eventually folded because their defense was garbage in 1998. Right. So, I mean, I, I know that that's kind of like an extreme comparison comparing to one of the greatest of all time, arguably like, you know, number, number two or three of all time. But, um, you know, what other, you know, rookie quarterback right now look, look, looks great. You know, Trevor Lawrence looks like garbage and Zach Wilson looks like garbage. And I was as big of a fist pounder for Zach Wilson as anybody else. But I mean, I gotta be honest, guys, like when both of those guys went to those organizations, I knew they were going to a dumpster fire. And that scares me because we, we've seen highly touted and talented quarterbacks go to dumpster fire organizations in the past and it just completely wrecks them. And so I, I think we let's let's not um, say that, uh, you know, let's not completely compare the whole Justin Fields, you know, four quarters to, to four games to four years you know, quite just yet. I mean, I, I think we still have yet to see Mitch Trubisky really play some serious minutes in Buffalo. So um, until Mitch Trubisky really starts you know, producing outside of the, the city of Chicago, I'm just going to go ahead and temper my 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 emotions on, uh, you know, how bad Mitch Trubisky got underserved here in Chicago. Very, very pragmatic approach. You can appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. I do think, though, that uh, Matt Nagy didn't do Mitchell Trubisky any favors. I mean, I have been uh, looking at the table of this Cleveland Browns game, and uh, but I haven't been studying the All Twenty Two like as if I was an expert. I was. I've been following other experts evaluating that tape, and the and the words that I keep hearing are old concepts, lack of scheme. Now Justin Fields on, on these evaluations was blamed heavily too. Held on to the ball too long. There was an open man over here. He can't expect wide open receivers like he did at Ohio State. He's got to force that ball. The receiver has a half step on the defender. He's got to let go. But I kept hearing poor scheming, poor uh, route concepts. Absolutely nobody open because the scheming was wrong. And I think that is part of what happened to Mitchell Trubisky, too. And it wasn't until Bill Lazor took over the play calling duties. Now, I know that the three victories that Trubisky had late in the season were against terrible defenses. And then in the final two games, the playoff game and the regular season finale, he faced good defenses and didn't play very well. But nonetheless, and, and and some people could argue that that was Matt Nagy's fault because Matt Nagy by that time took over the play calling duties. But nonetheless, when Laser took over, I think all three of us and so many other more other people are in agreement that Trubisky played well, that the offense was better suited for him. And then when we saw him uh, in that preseason game, and again, I underline it's preseason when he played with the Bills at Soldier Field, he did all of the things that Matt Nagy should have been having having him do in Chicago, the rollout plays, getting the ball rid, rid of uh, more, more quickly, not trying to force him to be a pocket passer, but playing, having a scheme suitable to his strengths. So, I, you know, Neil knows a lot more about football than I ever will. So, you know, if anyone's going to bet on an opinion, bet, bet on his. But I do think, uh, my opinion is that I do think that, uh, uh, Nagy has did not do Trubisky any favors. Yeah, and I and I think that I, once again I think there are two and like we see in the chat room, two truths can exist, and so uh, <laughs> it was it was something that needed a lot of coaching, and the coaching simply was detrimental as well. It just wasn't going to work. It was a bad combination. But I want to stick with the quarterback. Uh, I want to talk with about the quarterback situation a little bit more. 
Justin Fields dings up his hand. He looks like, sounds like he's okay to go. We don't know what the real big status of Andy Dalton is. The people are floating out. The fact that we're even floating out the idea that Nick Foles could start makes me queasy. Uh, so, uh, Neil, is there any, do you think there's any possibility that Justin Fields doesn't start against the Detroit Lions? I hope and pray he starts because if it's a, another situation where Nick Foles experiment is jam and ice pick in my red. I'm done. I'm, I'm over the Nick Foles experiment stuff. I mean, we, we've seen how terrible that marriage of Matt Nagy and Nick Foles has been already. Is please, you know, you know, the thing is, Justin's already been at the podium and said he's fine. I'm, I'm sure that by the time we hit Thursday and Friday, you know, he's going to be 100%. He's going to be going through the motions. He's going to be, you know, preparing as though he's going to be QB1 come, you know, Sunday. I, I, don't, I don't, I'm not really too concerned about that. But if we trot number nine out there, I might as well just turn the TV off. You know, it's it, it's over, and we might we might see heads roll on Monday. Um, but I mean, you know, to what be if honest, Dalton's though, healthy, if what Dalton's now? healthy, what if Dalton's healthy? If Dalton's healthy, I wouldn't be surprised if he puts Dalton out there. And you mm. know, the the one thing that I, I can't remember who I heard it from this week, I, th- I actually heard it a couple times, and it sort of vindicated uh, one of the thoughts that I had. But I thought it was, I was being a tinfoil on my head guy when I thought about it. But what if Nagy's just doing this on purpose, just to say, j- just just to like hammering the point you know i told you justin's not ready he, he can't go out there and perform the you know what if he's really just trying to ride this season out with dalton because he know he's going to be able to have less headaches with an experienced quarterback of of 11 years that you know has you know been to the playoffs and everything else a veteran and uh just allows justin fields to ride ride those coattails man i you know it i heard a couple other people say it i, I think actually tyler said it the other night yeah you did, and, yeah. You know, he, he was he was one of like three people I heard say. I was like, "Good, I'm not the only one with the t- wearing the tinfoil hat." <laughs> <laughs> but that the fact that I had to think about that though, like, how diabolical is this whole deal right now? Where you're sitting there, you know, looking at your TV, saying this literally can't be that bad. Yeah, I, I don't think. Uh, excuse me for interrupting, Neil. I don't think uh, Nagy would commit a treasonous act like that. I do believe that he's not nearly as smart as he thinks that he is, and he's just plain stupid. I mean, who else would <laughs> have, have the, 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 the idea that that left tackle who was fishing five weeks ago, he had his fishing pole in the lake and had not worked out at all during the offseason? Who had the idea that he could go one-on-one with Miles Garrett? Now, Juan Castile deserves some of the blame for that. And Juan Castile told Mark Grody after the game, you know, Mark, everybody has a bad day. You have had bad days at work. I know my wife has had bad days at the office. Everybody has a bad day. So today I'm just chalking it up to a bad day. That is utter BS. That was not a bad day for Peters. That was a bad day year of, of football thinking for everybody behind that whole thing. And I, and I, I'll go Certainly back. There and, were some bad moments for Peters though, too. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but you're absolutely cow. right. You're Holy absolutely cow. Right. Absolutely. I mean, he, he just doesn't have the lateral movement anymore. He can't get out to the second level. He, he can't handle speed rushers as was talked about earlier in the show. Yeah. Peters is, is, is not ready to take on a, he's, he'd be a good backup uh, a tackle, but he's not uh, can't play at the starter level. So, but why is he there? Why is he there? Because the the plan they Best put in available. Yeah, right. He's there because whatever they thought they were doing didn't work. 
They put, they put, they said, we're going all in. We're bringing in Tevin Jenkins. We're drafting him. He's going to start day one. Maybe Larry Borum will be a spot starter on the right side. And then, uh, you know what? That's good enough. We're good. We're going to, we're going to get rid of our starters. We're going to make change for the sake of changing. And then, oh crap, uh, Tevin Jenkins back problems come back up. Uh, Larry Borum gets hurt. Oh crap. Uh, who's left? Oh, Jason Peters. Okay. He just applied for AARP, but you know what? He can start for our, he can start be a starting left tackle now. So I, I, I this is just another one of those things where it's just let's let's just try this let's see what this does and it just blew up in their face like money like so many so many other things have happened just blew up in their face just throwing crap against the wall at this point yep. yeah kind of how see, a lot of stuff feels let me yeah, ask yeah let, let me ask you guys for your opinion at this point if if we continue to see poor performances in the next uh, few weeks and it's clear that this is not a playoff team and I'm still hoping still holding out hope that they can sneak into the playoffs but if we know for sure all right there's just no way this is a playoff team do you then bubble wrap guys like Justin Fields and even Tevin Jenkins if he's cleared to play bubble wrap him because those guys are part of the future and you don't want to throw them out there and risk potential long-term injury and you just let veterans play and, and let them let them finish out the season you guys have a feeling on that one way or another Honestly, I, I think that you you got to keep playing Justin Fields just to get him the reps. Uh, I think that you have to keep getting him experience. I know the offensive line is really bad, and he's it's gonna it's it's almost but it, there's a there's a risk of getting hurt in every game that you go out there. But uh, maybe for Tevin Jenkins, maybe you do shut him down for the season because that's a high impact position. And if his back needs to completely heal, you know what? Put him on the shelf till next year if they're completely out of the playoff scene, which I anticipate will happen this year. Uh, but as far as Justin Fields, we see a lot of rookie quarterbacks be on really bad teams, and they need that experience to go through the progressions, find their rhythm, understand the offense a little bit better. Now he probably will have, hopefully he'll have a different head coach next year, so he doesn't don't learn don't learn too much of the playbook that might hurt you uh but at least understand the game might understand the game speed of the nfl a little bit better understand reads a little bit better uh i'll defer to neil on that but i just think that your rookie quarterback needs to get some more of those reps before you just shelf them he does need the reps and i'm with you on that i'm scared as hell of damaging the kid right now because i i think we've already seen and i i hope it doesn't become a trend but the way that adjustments were made during the course of that Cleveland Browns game. I'm scared to hell for the kid. Yeah. I mean, these young guys, sometimes they just need to get out of the pocket and in some sort of a comfort zone. And when Justin Fields is on the move, just moving the pocket or, or just, you know, being, uh, you know, off platform, that is a little bit of a comfort zone for him. I always said on, on draft on tap, uh, you know, during my evaluation of, of Justin Fields, like the thing that I loved about him is that, you know, he is a pass first quarterback. You know, he, he's not like Lamar Jackson or Michael Vick or some of these other guys that would come straight into the league, you know, Steve Young, and just, like, make one read and, and take off automatically. But mm -hmm. the, the, the thing about it is, guys, is that from the first snap, Justin Fields did not look comfortable, and Matt Nagy did not look like he was in any position to get him to feel comfortable. You know, he, he, he did not call some, you know, he did not call screenplays. He did not call bubbles. He didn't roll the pocket. We knew this offensive line was Swiss cheese. We knew we knew it, it was a cardboard, you know, it, it was a cardboard barrier, you know, going into this. I think I saw a graphic. Justin Fields had an average of 0.78 seconds to fire the ball off on, on Sunday. An average of 0.78 seconds. You know, at least Tom Brady has three, and he's the best of all time. 
just he had 0.78 seconds. You give any rookie like 0.78 seconds to throw, and he's going to have an absolutely horrendous, atrocious outing like we saw. But you know the, the thing the thing about it is, is that you got to get this kid comfortable from the very beginning of the game. Get him in a situation where he's he's at least completing the ball. He builds up his confidence. I, I, I tweeted out something during the, the uh, um, uh, October 2017. I think it was October 9th, 2017, is when Mitch got his first start under John Fox. Right, Mitch ended up going 12, 25, 128, one and one for a, just a marginal 60.1 quarterback rating. The difference is 26 design runs were called to at least take the pressure off of Mitchell Trubisky throughout the course of that game. And that running back was Jordan Howard, one of my favorites of all time in a Bears uniform, personally. Matt Nagy called 10 design run plays on Sunday. Arguably, your best player on offense touched the ball 11 total times, including the one pass he caught which was under duress and completely chaotic. So, I mean, that, that, that's what has to happen, guys. You know, the, the just, just the, the drop back thing and just, you know, throwing him like baptism by fire type of stuff. Yeah, that works, but you got to at least get the kid comfortable, get him in a rhythm to at least feel like he's going to be able to move the ball down the field without taking shots. I, I never thought that I would have to look back at a Dowell Loggins offense and be like, wow. That was the right thing to do, but here we are, years later, and we're we're talking about wow. I wish I wish they would have did what Dowell Loggins did with Mitch Trubisky, and so that, that's kind of where we are right now. Uh, so I do want to go and uh, I'll start with you. Um, if they lose the Lions, what do you think will happen, if anything? Well, I think that's when, uh, you know, a lot depends on how how they lose, right? If it's a terrible-looking defeat all out uh, against the Browns, then, you know, you're going to have the city on fire just like the Chicago fire. And so the cries for Nagy's head are going to be at such a high level that management just can't ignore them. They'll have to address it either by the general manager addressing the media or you know, uh, more uh, one way that uh, a team deals with situations like that is they start to leak out information that the Bears are going to make a coaching change at the end of the year to help placate fans. Uh, and and there have been some media reports already, although the sources that I've seen those media reports already are not reliable. But when you see a a, a credentialed, uh, a beat reporter rep- reporting those suspicions, then that is probably because the Bears management is trying to placate fans. But if the if the loss to the Lions is a close game and the team plays relatively well and hard, and and you can tell that the players are still playing hard for Matt Nagy, then nothing happens. They'll just make adjustments, and we'll still hear more of that word soup that we all come have come to. Uh, uh, abhor from Matt Nagy, and 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 that's that's the uh, twilight zone we'll be living in. Neil, I was going to ask you if this offense gets back on track, and you can we'll, we'll consider this a fill in the blank question. The Bears' offense gets back on track if they what? Well, again, like I was saying the last time I was uh, on on rant. <laughs> Uh, get get the if, if Justin Fields is the one that that is starting on Sunday, you got to get the kid comfortable. Get the ball, get the ball in Dave Montgomery's hands. Keep defenses honest. 
I mean, you, you already know the Lions are going to come out and fight and scratch and claw because that, that's, that's the way Dan Campbell wants his players to play. And he's done a damn good job of getting them to play that way, to be honest with you, in three games. I mean, kneecaps and, and lats and, <laughs> and the quads and, and, you know, everything else, you know, guys might be missing a few of those, but they're, they're playing their asses <laughs> off. And that, that's the way that, honestly, we want our defense to play. And, you know, historically, our defensive personnel has been able to carry the load, you know. It's it's the, uh, the the side of the ball with the big shoulders, <laughs> you know, carrying the offense. I mean, you, you think about those Rex Grossman years, man. Like you know, he would he, the most schizophrenic quarterback of all time. Defense like carry the load, guys, and you know we have a defense that's good enough to carry the load if our offense can at least just do their job, keep the ball moving down the field, and keep the other offense off the field, right? So, I mean, to be honest with you, like we'll we'll be we'll be okay on Sunday if Justin Fields is starting. Get the kick comfortable. Get the hands in the, in the get, get the ball in the hands of David Montgomery. He's arguably your best player in offense. Get Justin Fields some short stuff, some easy stuff early. Get that confidence up so that now he really starts getting a groove. Starts feeling good about himself. You know, feel good, look good, play good, man. Yeah, it, it really it truly is a thing. You have Dalton starting. I feel like what we did the first half against the Rams was not bad, guys. We moved the ball up and down the field. Just two horrendous plays really put us behind the eight ball going into the second half. And then man, Nagy goes again, as you know, true to form the past three years, takes the ball out of the hands of the running back. How many times did David Montgomery touch the ball in the second half against LA three? Hmm. I don't know. I, yeah, I didn't not, go not back and look at the stats, but you know, the point is, is that this offense works when the ball is in the hands of David Montgomery and you go out from there. Sort of the same way the defense works when the team Hicks is on his game, you can get some outside pressure and you go from there. Um, you know, just be just be even remotely offensively competent, and we'll be in good shape because the defense is good enough to carry the load. Aldo, uh, I'm going I'm to ask this to both of you guys. I'm going to start with you, Aldo. Right now, and this is kind of just an off-the-cuff question, would you rather have Matt Nagy as the head coach or Dan Campbell, which is I, which was a laughable question before the season, but now I'm actually asking it. No, I definitely Dan Campbell. And uh, you know what? Dan Campbell may not be any smarter or, or a better football coach than Matt Nagy, but I saw Campbell's press conference after that loss Sunday to the Ravens, and I saw the emotion, and I saw the fight in him. I saw how much he cared. I mean, this guy has some Chicago in his blood. He reminds me of a, of a Ditka-type coach. And it, when you're losing, and when you're losing bad, and they did not lose bad against Baltimore, they were robbed. Uh, but when you're when you're not having any success, you need a head coach there who visibly shows that he cares, as a as opposed to the head coach that we have seen after losses, where he's trying to he's giving you all these cliches, the whys and the bu's and all that stuff. And um, that just doesn't work in professional football. You know, he, Matt Nagy might be a good uh, college football coach at some Division II school, uh, but he is clearly showing that he doesn't have the skill set to lead men at the professional football level. Neil, would you rather have Campbell or Nagy? Campbell. You know, you, you, you said it all, though. Um, emotion. Passion, those things don't just work at the pro level. They work at all levels of football. You have to have passion. You have to have emotion. You have to show you give a shit. 
You know, otherwise a player is going to tune out. Bland does not work at any level of football whatsoever. It, the, the, the players are, are not into bland. They're not into boring. They're not into, you know, political correctness. And that's all. That's the only thing we've gotten really in press conferences, except for the post-draft press conference when everybody had smiles on their faces and it was sunshine and rainbows and, and everything else. All we've gotten is coach speak and, and you know, word salads and, and just a bunch of bland and a bunch of blah. And uh, that, that that stuff just does not work. I mean, you know, who the most revered coach in the history of the Chicago Bears, who was it? It was Dicka. What do you have? Mm. Passion, fire. You know, mm. name your favorite adjective. So, you know, I, I know, you know, Matt Campbell failed in, in Miami, but what coach hasn't failed in Miami since the end of Shula? <laughs> he's, yeah. he's, he's being given a shot to sort of, you know, reconcile something that was killed by a uh, Diet Coke version of a Bill Belichick, you know, regime. And, um, you know, I think for the first time you're seeing you know, it, what happened was they got rid of all that corporate BS and they brought in a guy that gives a shit. And all you need a lot of times in the locker room is somebody to give a shit. I'm not saying that Nag at one point didn't give a shit, but, the, you know, I, I think part of giving a shit is being really creative and having a game plan and making adjustments and just showing that you at least have something up here that's, that's going to, you know, get us through a bad day. Um and, uh, you know, the, the other thing I was thinking about, too, in, in terms of passion and emotion, and, and, you know, I mean, this is going way back to, like, before the season ended or really but kind of like before the draft. Um, anytime you you would hear Ryan Pace speak, how dejected he always seemed, and, I mean, he still kind of does, to be honest with you. But, um, you know, the, 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 the difference is, is that when you listen to Ryan Pace speak versus somebody like, uh, um, uh, I, I'm blanking, GM of the Colts. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ursay uh, or not Ursay? Uh, Greg Ballard. Greg Ballard. Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard. You listen to Chris Ballard talk; like he is engaging. He pulls you in. He he. There, there, there's voice inflection, like authentically voice inflection. Mm-hmm. And you know, it, it's really hard to get behind people that don't pull you into stuff. And I, I feel like you know a lot of this, a lot of this administration, and and you know. This whole deal is just a bunch of, you know, smoke screens and everything else. And there's a lot of disingenuity. It's hard to get behind that, man. Yeah, at least at least Matt Campbell's gonna make me run through a freaking wall. Yeah, give me a knee, give me a kneecap to bite. I, I will I will play lap. for Dan. Yeah, I will I will play for Dan Campbell. We may be going in the wrong direction, but at least we'll be going there at hundred miles per hour, and that's what I, can, I that's what that's what I can appreciate. I do love some of the comments in the chat. I think uh, one of them is I'd rather have Wiley Coyote as the head coach. I think that should be a I think that should be a, a social media campaign. Who you would rather have as the head coach of the Chicago Bears than Matt Nagy? Just throw in whoever you like. You would rather have so and so than than Matt. <laughs> Nagy as the head coach I think that would be a fun little social media experience because at least uh, when it, it, the laughter would keep us from crying so I think that's something <laughs> fun that, that we could do uh, guys before we get out of here I do want to go around the horn for some final thoughts uh, Aldo I'll start with you final thoughts about going into this game where the Bears are at and uh, what's coming up on the network yeah first of all I can't imagine that uh, they're going to perform at that uh atrocious level against the Detroit Lions. I do expect that they are going to win at home in a close game. I hope that Justin Fields is the starter, and I hope that he shows some uh, 
significant progression from his standpoint. Yes, first and foremost, the game plan has to be there for him to succeed, but I want him to see him do individual things that a, a young quarterback sometimes takes a while to achieve in the NFL, things like getting bought, rid of the ball more quickly, things like seeing the field uh, a little bit more. And then tomorrow night's uh, 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 Bear Truth with Danny Shimon, we're going to go over some of that tape where we, we will point out to you some of the scheme mistakes, but also some of the times where uh, perhaps Justin Fields didn't see the field uh, as he wanted to. So that will uh, happen tomorrow night. Danny Shimon and myself with Bear Truth. Prior to that, uh, Crosstown Crosstalk at 2 p.m. Uh, Vinny Parisi and Joy Parisi will talk about the Cubs. Lots of White Sox talk, of course, as they're heading into the playoffs. And they'll uh, take a look at all the big Major League Baseball stories. Uh, Mike North has the day off tomorrow. He will be back next week. I'm sure he's very disappointed that he doesn't have an opportunity to come on and talk about Mitchell Trubisky. Um, yeah, but so man. he's going to take a week off. He'll be back a week from tomorrow. Uh, we've got the Barfly Tailgate Show on Sunday to get things off. And, of course, Bear Football Sunday after the game. Neil, just looking forward to some offensive uh, competency this Sunday, guys. That, that, that's really it. Um, regardless of who's starting, you know, if like, like I was saying, if, uh, if, we, if we get Andy Dalton in there and we look more like the first half against the Rams, we can move the ball up and down the field. We look like we have a pulse. I'm going to feel a hell of a lot better about the rest of that the, of, of that afternoon. But, uh, you know, if, if we look like uh, – Dog crap like we did on Sunday, man. It, it, it's going to be a rough day. There's going to be a lot of beers consumed. Just going to go ahead and tell you. <laughs> Maybe a few shots of whiskey. And, uh, man, beer up. But, uh, I mean, the, the other thing, too, is, like, can we – can we, we we should have left Eddie Jackson on the tarmac on Sunday and just, you know, told him to, to go find himself another team immediately. I, I'm, I'm officially done with Eddie Jackson. Now, like, I haven't really been, you know, on that, uh, on that boat already. But I'm about on that boat as much as I have been with Anthony Miller and Javon Wims. You know, that that one play when he actually decides he wants to be physical for the first time in three years and, th and hip toss a guy out of bounds into the chain gang guy and mm -hmm. damn near blow out his knee. That That's the same type of, of, of ridiculous decision making, like, you know, foolish, you know, selfish mentality stuff that you know, we had to deal with Anthony Miller and, and, and Javon Wims. Like, I'm done with guys that are like that are me guys. Just get him out of there. He doesn't he has no intention of tackling. He's a flashy, big play, you know, wannabe guy. Get him out of there. Put. You know, get get Deion Bush and Travis Gibson back there. Put those two guys back there. It would be a hell of a lot better because at least you know we have guys that actually want to make plays and be physical. Mm. That's all there is to that. Appreciate you being on, Neil. Uh, my parting thought is I take a very holistic look when I talk about the Chicago Bears, and I'm not just talking about Week Three. I'm talking about this year, last year, and all the years preceding it, and the years that we are going to be looking forward to. So when I'm talking about how angry I am and how angry Bears fans are. It's a culmination of things. It's not just reacting to last week. It's all of the things that we've gone through last year and the year before and probably the year before. So that being said, I'm just tired of this. I'm tired of the, of the mediocrity. I'm tired of just 
being like, let's see if we can squeak into the playoffs. I, I said this week that Matt Nagy is probably the coach that I have been irritated at the most in my entire lifetime. And in my lifetime, there's been Dave Wansat, Dick, uh, Dick Duran, uh, Lovey Smith, Mark Tressman, John Fox. And I think that I despise Matt Nagy as a coach the most because that window of greatness was open and they never took advantage of it. They had a dominant defense in 2018 or a really good defenses since and they just pissed it away They're the the opportunity was there for them to compete for years and they have not so that is why i'm so angry at this regime because they squandered it they squandered it they had it and as denny green would say they let it off the hook and that's why i'm so pissed off and i'm gonna continue to be pissed off but you're gonna get more of that emotion on bear football directly after the game but for this edition of buffon 55 that will about wrap it up i appreciate everyone in the chat room everyone who's listening to the live version the downloaded version any version whether it's video or audio appreciate each and every one of you and like i always say whether it's your first time or your 55th time i appreciate all you listening to this show but for aldo gandia and neil stopchinski i'm john buffone we'll see you next week everybody